Hello and welcome to the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Keep in mind that we do have other resources and information available at our website at thelatterrain.org. If you wish to hear other English audio messages, they are available for free, either at our website or as podcasts or iTunes. Just look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under Podcasts as The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. There are a few reasons for why we can find ourselves in trouble, and of course, in one way or another, it involves sin, whether it involves the sin in the world, the sin of others, and of course, our own sin. Sin is ultimately the root cause of everything that is challenging and troublesome. The greatest purpose of trouble is to show quite vividly that we need to come to God, to get as close to Him as possible, no matter what the circumstances are, and of course, when we are in trouble, in pain, and or in suffering. Drawing closer to the Lord is clearly the one definite response for any and all circumstances. Please stay with us for a few minutes as we look into God's Word together. Let us take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer together. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness and mercy and salvation that we find in him and through him. Thank you, O Lord, for your love and grace. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you please forgive my sins and my wrongs, O Lord. And I pray now humbly, O Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you may please guide us, you may help us to understand clearly what you wish to us to learn. Heavenly Father, you may speak to our hearts and to our minds. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture passage reading today is found in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. Day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. In today's passage, we read of Judah's fallen state, where Nehemiah talks about its devastation and the beloved city, Jerusalem. What led to this incredible disaster? Why was Jerusalem left in ruins? Before we answer that question, we should aim to understand why does trouble happen? Why do things go wrong? And of course, we need to look to the Bible for our answer, to the Word of God. Sin is ultimately the culprit for all destruction in one way or another. And that is why God hates sin, literally. He has allowed for sin to exist so there can be choice, but nonetheless, God hates sin. From when Lucifer rebelled against God along with the third of the angels, there has always been the freedom to choose. Lucifer chose to envy God and desired to be like God. He coveted God and his position of ultimate power and dominion. And so celestial beings have the freedom to choose. And of course, we humans have the same freedom to choose as well. Because God does not want for anyone to be with him out of duty or obligation. God ultimately desires for his created beings to desire to be with him out of their own free will. Because inherent with who he is, is this incredible concept of love. Love always involves choice. And so, if sin causes trouble in one way or another, then how does it happen? How we define the impact of sin or why sin comes into the picture depends on the direction it is coming from. The Bible explains that there is such a thing as trials, which in this instance, sin emanates from the environment. Because quite simply, we live in a world of sin. And the purpose for trials is to purify, change, transform, and make stronger. When a person is undergoing trials, that means that the reason for why they're facing or experiencing trouble is because of something outside of them. That they are not necessarily at fault for something. And that God is allowing for there to be trials so a person can become better equipped. So they can be ready for greater things. We can never move forward without there being some sort of transformation in our lives. And as a Christian, we should always move forward. Even if it consists of tiny baby steps, if you will, we always need to be changing and being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is the purpose for trials. So in short, trials emerge because God allows them to happen so that a person's life can continue being changed and through the sin that exists in the world, not necessarily because the person did something wrong. Let's start looking at some instances of trials in the Bible so we can understand better. James chapter 1 verse 2 to 3 tells us this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What can we understand here? We count it all joy when we fall into various trials, not because we are not in touch with reality, but because we need to keep in mind that God is looking to do something special in our lives. And also, so we stay focused on the fact that this world is temporary and that our eyes should always be fixed on the goal, on the future. That is what patience means in this instance, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just counting down the days to be with the Lord. That you are just looking forward to the great things that God has prepared for those that love Him. And there can be no patience 
the hope of awaiting greater things unless there is faith. Faith is a root of hope, and hope is a precursor to patience. We always need to bear in mind that we are just passing by and that we need to live out our lives in that manner, that we don't belong to this world, that the rewards we are waiting for are not necessarily here and now, but rather later in eternity. What's the worst thing that someone can say that can happen to them? Most people would say that the worst thing is dying, right? Well, for a follower of Jesus Christ, for the person that is learning patience through trials, dying is actually the threshold to eternal life. So the only concern that a Christian should have with death is that their time to amass spiritual wealth is coming to an end when they die. But death to us is actually a good thing. There should be no fear, but rather an acceptance and a looking forward to what will be received soon enough to the revealing of the hope we should all have in Christ. So for some people, death could be the worst thing. But for the followers of Jesus Christ, it should actually be a good thing. See how having the right biblical perspective can turn something that is dreaded by many into an actual positive? And so, if we were to think that our time here is short, and that here and now is the only opportunity we have to accumulate treasure in heaven, like the Bible says, wouldn't that change our perspective? I'll try to explain further. In the ministry, I have ministered to many people in their last moments before going to be with the Lord, including my father who passed away not too long ago. When each and every person was seeing their physical life ending, not a single one of them was concerned about finances, about how much they had in the bank, about property, work, degrees, accomplishments, and so on. Each and every person had completely lost any and all interest for the here and now and were more concerned about having their loved ones around them and about where they were heading, especially as they saw their time here come to an end. And so, if each of us were to live out our lives like if we were living out our last moments, how would that change what we are doing now? Something to think about, right? Coming back to trials, Jesus was also tempted. He faced trials even though he was the perfect and sinless, only begotten Son of God. But however, he came to this earth to be our prime example. We ultimately are called to be like Jesus, to be Jesus followers and imitators, because he is the example of perfection. He is the model. That's another reason for why he took on our flesh condition, to show that it is possible through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit to lead a different life, a changed life, a life that brings true glory and honor to God, despite the challenges that the flesh may bring about. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, we read the story where Jesus was led to the wilderness so that he could be tempted, where it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours." 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so, there wasn't a mistake, or that Jesus went into the wilderness because he had to purge some sin out of his life. It was the process his flesh needed to go through so that he could be ready as the physical person he also was for the part of his earthly ministry that would be recorded in the Bible. There is something else we need to keep in mind. What is written in the Bible about the life of Jesus are only small glimpses recorded so that we have more than enough to help us believe who he was and is, but he did many, many things throughout his short lifespan on earth. The Apostle John accounts for it in the following manner where he said, This is the disciple speaking of himself who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Jesus did many things, but his greatest actions were after he underwent a seriously challenging trial period, when his flesh was at its weakest, having eaten nothing for 40 days, alive only by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a story we just read. Now, how does this relate to us? We will also undergo trials. We don't know when, but they will happen, especially if God wants to do great things in our life and through our life. And that's why we need to be ready. We need to build ourselves up through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. If we preoccupy ourselves with the things of the world, with carnal things, we will fail and fail big when these trials come along. So you see, as Christians, we really have no time to waste. And we should always remain focused on reality that our time can come at any moment and that we need to be ready, preoccupied more with the things of God as the Lord being our priority in life. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to 18 explains this to us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. This is the way we should prepare effectively for our trials and life itself as we progress through it. 
That is why I cannot emphasize enough every chance I get that every believer and follower of Jesus Christ needs to get into the scriptures, gleaning them for everything they are and applying that holy knowledge to our everyday lives. Now, the second instance that can explain why we experience trouble is because of disobedience. And I'm sure we have all had our moments. When we disobey, we invite trouble to come into our lives. We make our lives more challenging than they need to be. The Bible explains that when we disobey, if God takes us as true children that belong to him, he's not going to just let us be. He will attempt to bring us back into the fold through discipline. So for those people that say that God is love and that he doesn't allow for anything bad to happen to you, they're completely wrong. God doesn't like spoiled children because nothing good comes from spoiled children. God disciplines those people that he loves, which means he allows for certain things to happen that may be consequential to those wrong decisions you are making. So you can learn the lesson, stop doing what is wrong and go back to the right direction. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 to 11 precisely explains this point to us where it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so, if you choose to disobey or steer off the path, if he truly cares about you, he will discipline you. He will not force you to change, but he will appear to your spiritual side through the some of the challenges that sin produces with the hope that you will see the light, if you will. He will allow for you to experience some sort of pain and disillusionment due to the wrong that you are doing, so you learn your lesson and turn away from disobedience. And of course, he allows it because he loves you, because he only wants what is best for you, that's why it is so important to get into his word, into his instruction and embrace it as its ultimate truth so you can live it out in your life, so you can base your decisions on his word, on his wisdom and not on illogical and carnal reasoning. The Bible also explains the importance of remaining in his word and practicing the things he tells us to do in the following manner. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. In this verse, he is referring to his people, not to some strange group of individuals. We allow ourselves to be destroyed if we reject his knowledge. And he rejects us if we forget his law, his ways. Nothing good comes out of disobedience. And the danger with disobeying is that disobedience can take you to other places that are even worse, to a place of rebellion, 
which leads us to the third reason and the ultimate explanation of what happened with God's people in our key passage today. The reason why they were conquered, destroyed, and dispersed throughout the world at that particular time. Rebellion is a big problem. This goes beyond simple disobedience. Rebellion ultimately means when a person or a group of people feel the need to challenge and defy God, similar to what our society is doing at this very instant and has been doing for quite some time. In our United States society, unfortunately, we have turned from following God in general to following and justifying our own sinful and carnal desires. We call right wrong and wrong right. What used to be right before is seen as evil, as closed-minded, as archaic, superstitious, or just plain dumb. Many people, including so-called Christians in the United States, dismiss God and His ways and look to defy God, to get Him out of the picture and give preeminence to sin, to anarchy, to perversity and folly, rather than looking to believing in Him, to please Him, and to value what He has done for us all as a human race. As Christians, we need to be careful with rebellion, with the issue of not abiding in Christ, because that within itself bears an inherent and quite problematic issue. John chapter 15 verse 1 to 6 tells us this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. As followers of Christ, we're called to be different, to be set apart, to go against the current of the world and of society, and to abide in Him, not to disengage from Christ, if you will. We need to abide in Christ, or else we will exclude ourselves out of our own free will, out of the things of God, out of eternal life, and the eternal rewards He has for us. This is the inherent problem that comes with all-out rebellion against God. That's why we cannot take our salvation lightly. The Bible tells us this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the following, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so, we can't be irresponsible with our salvation and take it for granted. Quite on the contrary, we need to work it out with fear and trembling. We need to take it seriously. We need to value it, to learn to value what Jesus did on the cross for us. And this is not an opinion, but rather straight black and white direction from the Bible itself. So again, if someone tells you not to worry, to just live your life however you want, they are either lying to you or don't really know or understand the Bible, no matter how many degrees they may say they have or years of experience or whatever. Just read it for yourself. It's quite plain. Let's look at another definitive passage that leaves nothing to the imagination. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries, 
Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This goes beyond simple disobedience. But if you are not careful and keep going down the path of disobedience, you can find yourself sooner or later in this position. That's why we need to be so careful with our salvation, with our spiritual walk, trying to follow the Lord closely rather than looking to see what we can get away with or not worrying or being concerned with our spiritual well-being. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 19 tells us this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the formal lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Bible gives us further counsel in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. This was the reason for Judah's demise and destruction that we read about. They rebelled against God. They didn't take him seriously. They did not look to obey him. They only followed their sinful ways and sooner or later God allowed for their evil ways to catch up to them. God repaid their unfaithfulness to him. He patiently waited for them to change, to understand what they were doing wrong and to turn away from their evil of their ways. He sent them many prophets and messengers for many years with the hope that they would listen, giving them ample warning. But, they just kept going and going until his patience wore out. We're living in similar times. What is happening now is no accident. Some people can come up with all kinds of theories and ideas, but the bottom line is that God is allowing for all of this to happen. And it is in response to the rebellious behavior people have been exhibiting for quite some time by challenging God and dismissing him, calling right wrong and wrong right, doing however they please. But no matter how much people try to do away with God and with his word, their evil actions cannot destroy a certain reality that God is God, whether they want to believe in him and accept him or not. At some point, even Satan himself will drop to his knees and will confess that Jesus is a King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But does God ultimately want for people to be destroyed? Of course not. He allows for trouble to happen because he ultimately wants for everyone to turn from their evil ways, to repent and convert and to look to him for eternal life. 
We always, always, always need to remember that. Ezekiel chapter 18 tells us this. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall be not remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. If we continue sinning and rebelling against God, God doesn't lose anything. We are the ones that are affected both here and now and more importantly in eternity. That's why God calls out to every single person to look to him because he is the only one with true answers, with love, with life and with a certain and immovable hope that if we put our lives in him and we follow the Lord faithfully, we will gain what he has prepared for those that love him. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 to 20 says this also, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. And so, if you're going through trials, look to Jesus. He can be your strength, the perfecter of your faith. If you're experiencing trouble because of disobedience, just stop disobeying and come back to where you need to be for your own good. And if you're experiencing destruction because of the rebellion in your life and heart, I urge you to turn to Christ before it is too late. You never know when your time will be up. Why run the risk of experiencing sin's full consequence, which means being eternally separated from the Lord and everything good that he wants to give as a reward? No matter what your situation is, when we are in trouble, the best thing to do always is to get close to the Lord, as close as possible, by coming to Him, to His Word, by changing and at least attempting to do better. We need to exhibit true repentance and conversion, not something temporary while we're still in trouble. There are so many folks that ease off their pursuit of the Lord when things start getting cleared up again. Most people look to God for help, which is good, but they attempt to use God for their needs and once he comes through for them, they forget about him and go back to their evil ways. We can never try to use God and think we're going to get away with it. It just does not work that way. The Bible says this, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Just because he says that he is slow to anger does not mean that his anger will never come if you challenge him if you refuse to do what he tells you to do. It also says quite clearly that he will not at all acquit the wicked. If we do wickedly, 
then we will not be acquitted from our wickedness because we are doing it willingly. We should not take for granted His love, His grace and mercy, but rather value them and accept them as the wonderful things they are with fear and deep respect with love. We should take hold of His love, but with the love He deserves and with the respect He's entitled to as the Lord of the universe and the Master of all. We need to honor Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, are you seeking Him earnestly right now with a humble and contrite heart? If not, you should do it and do it wholeheartedly. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as Nehemiah prayed, I pray, O oh Lord, that you please forgive our sins. Forgive my sins. Heavenly Father, for we, in one way or another, have all done wrong before you. And we're still doing it, Lord God. Heavenly Father, please forgive us. Please have mercy on us, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand the evil of our ways. Help us to understand the reality, Lord God, that we live. And help us to understand that we need to change. And we need to do things differently. We need to do it for our own good and for the good of those that surround us, O oh Lord. Heavenly Father, help us not to take for granted the wonderful, incredible, and awesome gift of salvation that you've given us, Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, to value Jesus Christ, to value his sacrifice, to value his death on the cross, the blood that he shed. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to value it, to respect it, and to love it, Lord God, and not to take it for granted, O oh Lord. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you help us as believers to truly be believers and followers of Jesus Christ and to do those things that bring you honor and glory, Heavenly Father, so that people can truly believe that there is a God, that there is a Lord, that there is a Savior that is capable of changing lives, of transforming people, of making all things new. Heavenly Father, because we need to be the testimony of your works on this earth. Help us, O Lord, Heavenly Father, to be that testimony for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please feel free to join us again next time as we continue looking into God's Word together. If you would like to write to us, you can do so through our website. Our web address again is thelatterrain.org. Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.